lot of us, we sit there and we say, man, I want to grow. I want to be more mature in God. Now, how can I do that? And I'm going to look at some of those the ways this morning that we can do things that we can do to grow and mature in Christ. Because if you know that I know some people that have supposedly been a Christian for 40 years and your six-year-old is more mature in Christ than they are. Have you met any of those people? <laughs> I've met a lot of them in my life. I don't want to be one of them. I don't want to be a baby at 40 years old. If my kids were babies at 40 years old, I don't care. I'd have thrown them out anyway. And sometimes we need to do that to our... God does that to us, kind of throws us out in the, in the cruel world so we can grow up. And he allows situations and things in our life to happen to us so we'll grow up. Because it's the only way we're going to grow up is through the school of hard knocks. And I've got a doctorate. I've got about five or six PhDs in hard knocks. So I'm really good at that one. So if you want to look there, the, chapter 3, verse 12. And it says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, Perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of for that for which Christ has also laid hold on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to achieved, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. <clears throat> now, Paul wrote Philippians 25 years after he became a Christian. So if Paul's sitting there 25 years after he becomes a Christian and says, I have yet not apprehended, and I still need to press on. Does that, what does that tell us? It tells us it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, we still need to press on. We still have more things that we can learn. We have more things that God needs to do to help grow us up and mature us. And Paul is one of the greatest Christians. If you ask any Christian, you say, man, Paul's got to be the greatest Christian that ever lived. So if he needs that, then where does that leave us? So I want to talk about five principles that I can... That we can use in order to grow up and mature. And the first one is we must study God's Word. Now, I know that was a shock to all of you because we're always talking about you got to study God's Word. you got to study God's Word. So that's the first principle. And going in Christ requires that we spend time in His Word. We cannot know what to do and what not to do if we don't know what God's Word says. And it's so important for us to study God's Word, to get it in our hearts because I've heard it said it before, sin will keep you from reading the Bible, or the Bible will keep you from sin. It's as simple as that. There's not room for, you know, my heart isn't a duplex, neither is yours. You either got to have room for God in your life, or you're going to have room for the devil in the world. There's not, it's not a duplex. And we got to feed that, feed that into our lives. So we got to put God's word in our lives to help make us strong and help us mature. So we've got to do that. And our uh, lives today, don't they rotate around food? We have... We're going to eat food today. <laughs> we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But our life kind of focuses around food. And there isn't anyone here that would think of going for a long period of time without eating. Because we couldn't. Because pretty soon our little stomachs, or your big stomachs, or whatever you got, would start growling at us. And you'd be able to hear it across the room. Because our bodies has to eat. And if we don't eat on a consistent basis, then we're going to get sick. We're going to become weak. That's the reality of it. Isn't that true? And it doesn't take a long time for that weakness to start filling in. Man, I go one day, you know, a couple hours without food, and I'm starting to feel, oh, man, I'm feeling weak here. i got to have something to eat. <laughs> and yet we, we know that in our physical life, but then we turn around in our spiritual life, we think we don't need to do that. But our spiritual man needs to be fed more than our physical man does. Because if we don't feel, feed our spiritual man, then it's going to become weak. And it's going to become sick. And when those things happen, that's when the devil jumps into our lives with both feet and tears us down. 
and does something to us to try to destroy our lives. It's hard for the devil to attack us when we're strong. And we get, become strong by putting God's word in our hearts and in our lives. Jesus used the word of God in, when he was being tempted in the desert. He, every time de- Satan tried to tempt you with something, he says, The word says, Thou shalt not live by bread alone. The word says, I will worship God and him only will I worship. But if we don't have this in our hearts, then when the devil comes into our lives, we have nothing to do but just, you just get beat up. And it isn't God's will for any of us to get beat up. It's God's will for us to remain strong and to pursue and to push on until we reach maturity. And we're not going to be 100% mature until God comes and he changes us. That's the reality of it. Because we've always got to keep growing and keep going and keep growing. That's the nature of our lives. They say that people, when they work their whole lives and they finally look forward to retirement and they retire, and a lot of them die about three, three to five years after they retire. Why is that? They have no reason to get up. Their jobs gave them a purpose in their life. It gave them something to look forward to. But if they're retired and they have nothing else in their lives, they have no reason to live. They just vegetate and they die. But that isn't God's will for our lives. We, we get saved, and he wants to mature us, and, and we grow in him. But we're always going to grow, and we're always going to mature more because God doesn't let this Christian life that we have get stale or stagnant. That isn't his will. His will is for us to grow and become mature. I'm supposed to be more mature tomorrow than I am today. Maybe baby steps, but every day I'm supposed to be a stronger Christian than I was the day before. That's God's will for our lives. And how are we going to get there? Read God's word. Because the more word we have in our hearts, the less of everything else is in our lives. You've only got so much room. I mean, I can put water in this water bottle, but sooner or later, it's going to be full. And it won't hold anymore. But in God, we can never fill up. We can never be filled up. We always want that desire. We always want that more of God. Because it's kind of like a, your favorite thing that you like to eat. Ice cream or chocolate cake or whatever it might be. Man, you just love You think you could eat that stuff all day long. Because you desire it, because you want it. And that's what we, we do when we find out when we get more into God's word and we study his word more, we find that we want more of it. Because it just, it just entrenches our lives. And it keeps us from, from doing a lot of things that God doesn't want us to do. If we have gray areas in our life, if we study God's word and we're in it a lot, then hey, those gray areas are going to start turning black and white. They're not going to be gray anymore the more that we're in God's word. First Peter 2.2, 2, out of the God's word... Uh, Version says, desire God's pure word as a newborn baby, desire milk. Then you will grow up in your salvation. Now, we all know that newborn babies, there's no denying what a baby wants. They cry and cry and cry when it's time to, when they're hungry. And there isn't anything that you're, the whole house is going to be upset until that baby's taken care of. That baby don't care if it's 2 o'clock in the morning. It doesn't care if it's 1 o'clock or 3 o'clock or 6 o'clock or whether uh, your phone's ringing doesn't matter. They don't care. When they're hungry, they're hungry, and they want to eat. And so they disrupt everything around them to get their needs met. And that's the way God wants us to be. He wants us to be so hungry for him and for his word and for who he is that nothing else is going to matter. It'll just disrupt our lives until we get God into our lives. That's what God's will is. He wants us to desire his word and desire him just as the baby does when it's hungry. And that's what God's will is for our life. Matthew 4, 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need God's word in our hearts. 
because that is the thing that's going to satisfy us. If people aren't satisfied in this life and they're always striving for more of this, more of this, more of this, you can bet that they don't have a lot of God in their life because when God's in our life, it makes us satisfied. Paul says, I'm learned to be satisfied no matter what my state is. If I've got a lot of stuff or if I have nothing, I'm going to be just as satisfied in either camp. And when we have God in our lives, that's what happens. It isn't about, oh, let's see, I've got to buy. We don't sit around and think, oh, I've got to buy a new car. I want a new car. I want a new car. We don't think about those things as much. We think about what God wants us to do. And a new car isn't as important when we're Christians and we're, we're pressing in with God than it is when we're not. Because if all we've got is this world, those are our status symbols. We've got to have that start a status symbol. But God doesn't deal in status symbols. He wants us to hunger after him and thirst after him. And that's what his will is. John 8 31 says in the New Living Translation, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you know the truth and the truth shall set you free. They'll know, the world will know that we're Christ's disciples if we, re, if we obey his teachings. Well, how are we going to know what his teachings are? We've got to read his word to find out what he says, what the things are he wants us to do and the things that he wants us not to do. And the only way we're going to do that is by putting his word in our heart because that's his will. Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He meditates day and night. Now, meditate means to empty the mind of thoughts, concentrate the mind on one thing, in order to aid mental or spiritual development, contemplation or relaxation, to think about something carefully, calmly, seriously, and for some time to plan something Meditate, we, we read the word, and then we just sit there and we think about what is God saying here? What is this scripture saying to me today? Not just read it and say, well, I got, my, I got my five chapters in today, or I got my one chapter read today. He wants us to read it and then think about it. What is it really saying to me this morning? Because every day we read God's word, I don't care, you can read the same chapter over and over and over again every day of your life. And every day you can say, God, what is it saying to me today? Because there's something in every day that God can give us out of his word, out of the same scriptures we read over and over and over again. We can never get everything that's in there in our hearts. I've talked to people who said, oh, I've read the Bible. They think if they've read it once, it's just like any other book. You read it, and that's it. That's, you don't need to do anything. There's a lot of books I've read that I only care about reading once. But that isn't the Bible. Because every day that Bible, this Bible in God's word speaks to my heart. And so we have to get it into our hearts. And if we want to mature, that's the way we got to do it. we got to find, get his word in our heart because that's what's going to make us grow up. The second principle of growth is we must pray. I know that's surprising. <laughs> Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is in, is deed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. Now, we know that was from... Um, when Jesus was in the garden and he asked his disciples to watch and pray with him for an hour and he didn't do it, they fell asleep. Now watch, the word watch here means to be wide awake or alert. And watchfulness discerns danger and prayer arms us against danger. So we have to watch so we can be aware of the danger and the prayer keeps us gives us the power of the, of the things that we need in order to beat that need. Susie, would you go get me my briefcase? I forgot something other I need this morning. So we need to watch and we need to pray because we need to be prepared for our battles and we need to be able to discern danger. <clears throat> How's your prayer life? 
I read somewhere that uh, the average minister prays about five minutes a day or ten minutes a day or something like that. And I thought that was very... I thought, man, how in the world could somebody pray for just five minutes a day? That's hardly a hello. How could you do that? And I thought, well, okay, they're so busy doing God's work that they don't have time for God. And I don't ever want to be that busy. When we're so busy doing God's work that we don't have time to spend with him, it isn't going to be long, and pretty soon we're not even going to be serving God because, well, oh, i got better things to do. And the devil will step on those things, things in our life, and he'll make us weak, and we won't be able to fight off anything. We won't have the strength to be able to fight the enemy, and we won't even be able to see the enemy when he comes. So it's very important that we pray. And prayer was important to Jesus. Now, if you read through the Bible, you'll know that Jesus prayed a lot. It's amazing how much that Jesus prayed. And you'd think, well, why in the world does he have to pray? He should have a main line right here. It shouldn't have to be, like, connected through a umbilical cord. He shouldn't have to do that. But Jesus showed us how important prayer is by his life. And if Jesus needed to pray, what makes us think we don't have to? Jesus needed that strength and that communion that he got during those times of prayer and during those times of fellowship. And God wants to do the same thing for us. If we're having a hard time being a Christian and having any strength to fight this world, then are we praying enough? Maybe we're not praying enough because that's where we get our strength. That's where we get our power is from God through prayer. So if we're not praying, we're going to be weak. I wrote this poem that kind of talks about man's prayer versus God's prayer. And this is man's morning prayer. I would really like to tarry, but I really have to run. You see, I'm in a hurry, and the day has just begun. Just bless me as I hurry, and I'll meet you later on. Would you please go with me and help to make me strong? Man's noontime prayer. Lord, this day is almost over. I'm really running late. So bless me, Lord, and guide me, for I don't want to make mistakes. Help me make it through the day, and I'll meet you back at home. Then maybe I can find some time for us to be alone. Man's evening prayer. Lord, you know I'm very tired, and my body is very weak. So would you listen quickly, for I have to get some sleep. I'm thankful that I made it through another hectic day. Please keep me safe all through the night, and tomorrow I will pray. Doesn't that sound familiar to our prayers? Isn't that the way our prayers go sometimes? We're always in a hurry. I mean, there are times when the alarm doesn't go off, power goes off, or something like that, that we have no control over, and we, you know, and we don't get those times. And that those days that we do that, doesn't your day just seem like the whole day just is off a little? It just isn't flowing right, like driving down the wrong side of the road on the freeway, if you miss that time. Well, this was Jesus' prayer. Jesus' morning prayer, not my will, my Father, it's your will that I do. My life in very presence is to let your love shine through. Let me proclaim your glory as the only Son of God. Let me express thy goodness while on this earth I trod. Jesus' new time prayer. Father, bless these loaves and fishes that your fullness may be known. Let them sustain the needs of life and the bounty to all to show. Let thy bounty to all be shown. Strengthen these that have listened to your words that I have said. Grant truth to those who seek, that their souls may too be fed. Jesus' evening prayer. Father, I have done thy will in everything you asked. I fulfilled your every wish, completed every task. All that's left for me to do is place my spirit in your hand. For at last it's finished, I've completed salvation's plan. Difference in a prayer, isn't it? 
But that's the reality. Of course, he didn't pray those particular, particular prayers. But God, Jesus was praying. All, he sought for times to find a place to be alone. And he had a hard time because every place he went, Jesus, people followed him. He was flocked by people everywhere he went. He couldn't have a time to himself. So he had to get up early in the morning to do it when people weren't up and around. And maybe that's what we have to do. You say, oh, I don't have enough time to pray. Everyone has the same amount of time in 24 hours period of time. Everybody has the same amount of time. It's just what our, prior, what our priorities are. Jesus' priority was to pray. So he got up early in the morning to do that. And maybe that's what we need to do. If we don't have enough time to pray, get up five minutes early or ten minutes early if we need to. But we need to find time to pray, and we need to find time to read God's word. Because if we don't, we're going to find ourselves slipping away, and we're going to find ourselves stumbling over the, some of the simplest things because we, our strength's gone. If you fast for 30 days, you're not going to be able to hardly walk or move if you're still alive. And yet we think that we can, be, we can survive in our Christian walk without talking to God and without reading his word. Well, we can't. It's as simple as that. We can't. That's the reality of it. And when we try, we're just asking for trouble. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. See, the Old Testament, they had certain times that they prayed and did all these ritualistic things, and a lot of people do that too. But God, in the New Testament, says pray without ceasing. We're always supposed to be in an attitude of prayer. Now, if I'm walking with somebody, and we're walking together, and we're talking, I'm not going to ignore that person. It'd be crazy. But God is walking with us, and he's inside us, and he moves with us every single day of our life. So it's kind of ridiculous for us to ignore him. I wouldn't like to be ignored. If I'm sitting there with somebody walking with them, and they're ignoring me the whole time, I wouldn't like that. And Jesus don't like it either. He doesn't like to be ignored. He wants to be a part of our life, a very important part of our life. And so if we want to grow and be mature, the only way we're going to do it is by talking to God and by reading his word. The third principle, if we want to grow, is we must follow fellowship with other Christians. Hebrews 10, 23 says, We must continue to hold firmly to our declaration of faith. The one who made the promises is faithful we must also consider how to encourage each other to show love and do good things. We should not stop gathering together with other believers as some of you are doing. Instead, we must continue to encourage each other even more as we see the day the Lord is coming. Now, they had a, a group of people, I guess, because this was addressed to people that thought church wasn't important. It isn't important to fellowship together. And so Paul wrote this letter to them specifically, so hey, it's important to fellowship with one another because we gain strength in that. If we can't, no man is an island. We've heard that song saying, no man's an island, and we're not. Now, there might be a time in our society, if the Lord tarries, where it's going to be hard for us to gather together. But generally speaking, right now, we have all the freedom we want to gather together to worship and to praise God. And we get together, and that's we gain strength. Now, they've known that in the secular world for a long time. AA. They have people go to meetings all the time. Why? Because it's that fellowship. It's that accountability to each other that keeps them from doing something that they don't want to do. And that's the same thing that happens to us. If we want to be able to abstain from doing things, then we have to make ourselves accountable. And how are we going to do that? By coming to church, by fellowshipping with, with fellow believers, and be able to share our experiences with somebody, be able to say, hey, you know, I'm having a trouble with, with this particular thing. Would you pray with me about it? We could do that. Whereas if we're just come on, you know, hurry, for, hurry up for five minutes Sunday morning, come in, and then we're gone. Don't even talk to anybody, and we just run out of here like 
nobody's business, like our, our pants are on fire or something like that, it's hard for us to get any strength. How are we going to get any encouragement if we never talk to each other? Because we're here as a body to encourage one another. And he said, don't forsake the, the assembling of yourself together the more as the day approaches. As the things get worse in this world, God wants us to be in his house more often because we're going to need that strength. And if the things keep going the way they're going to go, we're going to need each other desperately in these last days if the, if the Lord tarries. And we need each other because we, there's strength in numbers. One can send 1,000 to flight, but five can send 10,000 to flight. That's how the, the strength of each other multiplies. If you take a piece of rope or a string, and you, that won't pull much. But if you start wrapping and weaving that rope of five pieces of rope together, that rope can hold a lot of weight. And that's what God does with us in the body. He weaves us in and out together, so together we're collectively stronger than any of us are apart from each other. And that's God's will because we're one body. We all have different purposes. We all have different things that we do or different talents and abilities that God's given us, but we all have to be in the body. We have to be involved in the body because if you're not here, no one's taking your place. And so we want to not forsake coming to church. We want to be in church every chance we get so it can encourage me. And then I can have people pray with me. Because there's a, where two or three are gathered together, it's in Matthew 18, 19. It says, I will tell you more. Wherever two of you on earth agree about anything, you pray for it, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, I am there in the midst. So if we want to have a, a prayer request, have a better chance of shooting through that dead space that we think we can't get across the ceiling. Have you ever prayed those prayers? It feels like it's bouncing back and hitting you in the face. Get somebody else to agree with you in prayer over that thing because there's more power that way. And that's why God wants us to fellowship with one another so we can share each other's needs, so we can pray for each other, and we can help each other because we're here to build each other up. If I'm down one week or something like that and somebody says, oh, you know, yeah, you've had a rough time, but you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Then you can. You think, oh, yeah, they have confidence in me. I can do it. I can do it. And that's what we're here. We're here to encourage each other. And we're to help build each other up, not tear everybody down. That's the problem we have today is there's too many people tearing people down. We don't need people tearing people down. We need people that's going to build each other up. And anyone can do that. You don't have any special skills to be able to have to build somebody up. Just say, hey, how are you doing today? Or, you know, I prayed with you last week. Or pray for the congregation. Pray for people in the congregation during your prayer time. If, if God puts somebody's face in your, in your mind's eye, pray for them. doesn't matter. Pray for them because you don't know what's going on their, in their lives, but God does. And so God wants us to be in that attitude. and wants us to fellowship with each other and get to know each other. Because it's easier to pray for somebody you know, does, isn't it? It's a lot easier. Because then you know what their needs are, what's going on in their lives. You know whether or not they have a kid that's sick. You know if you have, they have a kid that's fell and broke his arm. You know those kind of things because they're friends to you or they're part of your family. So you know them. And it's easier to pray for those needs when you know them. It's hard to pray for somebody that, that you've never seen, don't know. and It's hard to pray for them. We do because we're, you know, we do pray for people. But it's easier to pray for your family. I don't have any problem at all praying for people that I know. Because I know basically what their needs are. My family, I know what their needs are. This person needs to get saved. This person needs a job. This, you know, and we know those needs. And we want to know that in the body of Christ. So we can all agree together and we can build everybody up. Because we want all, I want everyone here to go to heaven. I want everybody here to be able to reach out to their neighbors. I want you to be mature Christians and strong in the Lord. I want that for everybody. 
that's here. And so I pray for people. And that I know that God hears the prayers, and he intervenes, and helps meet that situation. But if there's more than one plan for it, he says, as agree. Agreement. Wow. If people could just agree in this day and age, that's a miracle in itself. If we can just agree, agree with something. So God wants us to agree. He wants us to fellowship with one another so we can be stronger. <clears throat> there are many, a lot of things we can gain through fellowship. One, we can profit from, some other, from somebody's experience. You know, it's a lot easier when you're dealing with somebody, somebody's going through a problem, and they say, I was went through that last year. Doesn't that make more when you, you know somebody that's been through the same exact thing that you've gone through, and they made it through it? Oh, don't you want to talk to those people and wonder, how did you do it? How did you survive that? Isn't, don't we want to know that? I do. If I'm going through something, man, it's new territory for me. I've never been through this problem before. And it's really encouraging to me that I know that somebody's already been through there, and they made it, and if they can do it, I can do it. So we can encourage each other. That's one benefit of it. We can agree in prayer. We can be together with prayer, for one thing. And we can be together to be able to do different programs that we may do in the church. If you're doing a big program, or a big, like we're out cleaning, doing yard work, or something like that, you can get it done a lot faster if uh, 10 people show up than you can if two. Can't you? And that's what God's will is. He wants all of us to be able to put in a little bit so we all make one body to be able to uh, fulfill his world. Fellowship means more than just friendship because that's what we think it is. We think fellowship is just friendship. Well, I have a lot of friends, okay? But it isn't. The word for fellowship in the Bible is called koinonia, and it means sharing in common, partnership. That is literally participation or social intercourse or benefaction to communicate, communion, distribution, fellowship, and it gives us accountability. That's the big thing. We're accountable. I wouldn't, there's some things that I, wouldn't want, that I don't want to do because, oh, man, what if, what if they found out I did it? Oh, no, I wouldn't want them to know I'm going to do it, so I'm not going to do it. So it keeps us accountable. If we want to be able to keep doing something, have a problem with something, tell somebody you're having a problem with it. And now all of a sudden you're accountable to that person because they're going to say, how are you doing with that problem? I'm going to pray with you about that situation. You having a problem with uh, who knows what it is. Some people have problems. I have problems you know, with bakeries and you know, ice cream stands and, and those sort of things and french fries and onion rings and <laughs> those kind of stuff. But if, if it's not a problem for me, I can say, hey, I'm having a problem with this. Now I made myself accountable to somebody because I've shared my weakness. And I said, would you pray with me about this? And then they're going to encourage me. And then, oh, you can, do without it. you can do without it today. You can make it. I know you have the strength to make it. And now we're accountable because every time we see that person, it's gonna, we know, well, man, I've got to be able to not do this because I don't, I don't want them to know that I failed. So it helps us to be accountable to people. The fourth principle is we must witness for Christ. Romans chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 14, it says, in the Good News Bible, it says, For I have an obligation to all people, to the civilized and to the savage, to the educated and to the ignorant. So then I am eager to preach the good news to those, to you also who live in Rome. I have complete confidence in the gospel. It is God's power to save all who believe, first the Jews and also the Gentiles. Paul makes it clear that he has an obligation to, to lead people to God or tell them about the gospel. This isn't something that we do because we don't have nothing else to do. We have an obligation to tell people about Christ. Somebody told us. So we have an obligation to be able to share Christ with them. But see, the reason we don't share Christ with them sometimes is we don't think that that person is going to get saved. Or what are they going to do if they laugh at us? Well, what if they do? So what? Worst thing they're going to do is laugh at you? Well, that's, that's, that's pretty... That's pretty Pretty heavy punishment, I think. <laughs> but
But we have an obligation to share Christ with other people. And we know that it's the power, God has, there's power in sharing Christ with somebody because God can reach anybody's life into there and lives that we don't think would even be touched. Now, Paul, if they'd have looked at Paul in those days, nobody would have guessed in a million years that Paul would have been interested in, in being saved because he was doing everything he could to kill Christians because he was, a, he, was a, he was a good heathen in that aspect, and I was a good heathen before I got saved. He was a religious heathen. I was just a downright sinner heathen, so there's a difference. <laughs> but he, he had so much zeal in looking for and killing Christians that when he became a Christian, he used that same zeal to promote the gospel, and he reached out to people so that they could get saved. And that's what we want to do. We want people to be saved everywhere. How many of us don't want our family to be saved? I want everybody in my family to be saved. I want everyone in this community to be saved. Because I have an obligation to them. Because I want to share the good news. Because it's good news. We don't have to live our lives the way that we're living our lives. It's good news. That's why it's called good news. Because we don't have to be satisfied with where we're at. We can just reach out and let God give us the things that we need in our life. And so we, we talk to somebody. We need to realize that we're not responsible for the results. If someone gets saved... Hey, it's up to them and God. It is not me. So if somebody, if I share God's word and they don't get saved, it's not my problem. It's God's problem. I just did what I was obligated to do. And God will open those doors for us. I'm not saying we're supposed to go in there and beat them over the head with a Bible and say, you're going to get saved because that isn't going to work. Sometimes it may, and if God tells me to beat somebody over the head with a Bible and I know it's God, I'll do it. <laughs> that's, maybe that's what they're going to need. But we already prejudge people by saying, oh, this person wouldn't be interested in the gospel. But we don't know. We just use that as a cop-out because we don't want to share God with our friends and family. Or we care what they're going to think of us. Well, so what? Who cares? Jesus didn't care what people thought of him. When he was hanging on the cross naked, he didn't care what people thought. He said, I'm doing this for you. And we get a little bit embarrassed because we don't want to pray in public or we don't want to uh, share Jesus with somebody. We're obligated to be able to share him with, with others. Romans one sixteen says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We just have to open up the power. We just have to open up the pages and just let the power go out and do it itself because the Holy Spirit's the one that saves people. I can't save anybody. Nobody in this building can save anybody. Only God can do it. We're just obligated to present the gospel to people. We're obligated to do that. And our life is the biggest testimony that we have. And so when we do that, then God's responsible for the result. See, we think we have to clean them and catch them. We don't. All we have to do is just, you know, throw the things out there like a fisherman and catch it and let God clean them. See, we want to gut and clean them too. That's why we have problems. And we start telling the people, say, well, now that you're a Christian, you said this little prayer. Now you can't do this, 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 this. Sometimes we need those kind of things. We need some rules and regulations to give us order in our lives. But it's up to God to clean people up, not us. I've never, ever went into the bathroom after I went outside working and got all scudgy, dirty, and, and muddy or something like that and come in and took a shower just so I could take a bath. That doesn't make sense, does it? But that's what we're trying to do to people that we know. We're trying to make them shower, and then we're going to clean them up too. But God is the one that's going to clean people up. And when we, when we take that pressure off ourselves, knowing that we don't have to do anything, it's up to God. All we've got to do is, is give them the message, and then God's responsible for the results, and then we're there to pray for them. We're responsible to pray for them every day. 
Now, maybe not every day, but we're responsible to pray for them because they, you're going to be their, their, uh, their contact, if you will. And when they have a need, they're going to come to you. I tell people, don't witness to anybody if you're not willing to help disciple them because you are the person that they're going to go to. You don't have to know all the answers to witness for Christ. We don't have to know the answers. I don't know every answer that there is that somebody's going to ask. But I guarantee that if they ask the question and I don't know, I can say, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to find out. And that's a good way to do. Then it helps them know that, hey, they don't know everything. That's good. They're human like me. So that's easy for them. So I, I can accept that. And then they'll say, I'll look it up and I'll go find it. i find out the answer. That's okay. And we need to do that. We need to follow through. But God's responsible for the re results. We expect people, we don't expect people to accept Christ. That's why we don't witness. We don't expect they're going to be interested. But it's amazing how many people are interested in the gospel if we will just share it. They might be wondering who knows what is going on in their lives. I've read, I don't know how many stories about people. I read this uh, story about this one kid that he had, everybody, you know, seemed like everybody was against him and made fun of him, and he was kind of a nerdy guy, and they were make, making fun of him or that, and he was coming home from school one day, and he had decided in his mind that he just cleaned out his locker and brought everything home so his mom, her parents wouldn't have to deal with all this because he was going to go home and kill himself. That was what his intention was, and he was trying to save his parents some work. So he comes home with all his books and everything, and on the way home, somebody ran him down, not ran into him, he knocked all his books all over the place, and they started laughing and laughing and laughing at him, how ridiculous he looked, you know. Well, some kid that was by there, he went down there and helped him pick, pick him up, picked up all the books, and said, you know, it, kids don't watch where they're going, do they? And kind of befriended this kid. And he started fellowshipping with him, and he, they become really good friends. And so this guy that just there talking to this kid, just one little incident, helping him pick up his books, that kept that kid from committing suicide. And later on, the, kid, the guy shared the difference that that kid made in his life just by helping him pick up his books. See, nobody would have guessed that he'd been interested in a lot of things, and that's the same thing with God. We don't know who's going to be interested in the gospel and who isn't. We can't. We cannot judge people's hearts because the worst of sinners that we think is the worst is the ones, the very ones that God's going to reach out to. And he's the ones, they're the ones that God's going to reach back to because those are easier to reach sometimes because they know they're sinners. The hardest people to reach is religious people because they don't think they need a Savior. Look at the confrontations that happened all the way through this Bible with the Pharisees when Jesus was walking this earth. Every time he turned around, it wasn't the sinners that was giving him grief. It was the religious people. So we need to reach out to those people. And when we do, we just have to take the first step, and then the waters part. God is the one that, that's going to do the work. It's amazing to me that you think you, you wonder after it's over with, and you look back and say, man, look at all that stuff I said. I wonder where it came from. Well, it came from God. See, we don't have to worry. We're, we're afraid we aren't going to know what to say if we talk to somebody. Well, we don't have to know what to say. We're obligated. If we put this stuff in here, it's just like a computer. You put all the stuff in there, and then when you need it, you do a search. Well, God does a search of your heart, and he... Pulls it out of there, pulls it out of there for us. And then we're amazed. Man, that was really good, God. You did a good job there. Well, he pulled out stuff that I've been putting in there all this time. And God knows exactly what is in here that he needs to pull out. But if we don't put it in here, then we're going to have a hard time trying to witness for Christ or we're trying to tell somebody for Christ because the tank's empty. You can't give somebody a, a ride in a car if you're out of gas. Come on in. Shut the door. Or I'll give you a ride. Where are we going? I don't know. We'll just stand here and go. Brrr. 
Or we'll play Fred St Flintstone and we'll lift up the car and, you know, run. That's the way I'm going to give you a ride. But we have to, when we're witnessing for Christ, we have to have something in our tank. And this is what's in our tank. God's word was in it. When it's in our tank and we're praying, God will put it in our heart and he'll bring all the things to remembrance. Because he told us, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give it to you. I'll tell you what to say. But every one of us here has a testimony. Every one of us has a story of how far we went before God saved us. I have one. I was really, I was really a good sinner. God did a great work in my life. And I have a testimony of how my life has changed since coming to Christ. Well, there's a lot of people want their life to be changed, but they don't know how to do it. So the, it's up to us to be able to share that good news. We don't have a problem if we have a new granddaughter, great-granddaughter. We don't have a problem pulling up pictures and showing people, oh, look at my kid, isn't they cute? We don't have a problem doing that. What was my pulling out? I said, oh, man, look at my Savior. He's just what you need. I know people they get tired of seeing people's pictures, but they'll look at them, don't they? They may get tired of hearing about your wonderful kid, but they'll look at them. They won't be rude. But even if they are, it doesn't matter. We don't care. I've got the best-looking kid in town. You want to see the best-looking kid that God ever created? Here it is, right here, see? So we can do that. We can do that with our experiences. And so if they don't accept Christ, hey, we did our part. It's not our responsibility. We just got to not be discouraged and just keep going on. And the next principle is that we need to um, obey God. 14.21, John 14.21 says, Those who accept my commandments, obey them, are the ones who love me. My Father will love those who love me. I, too, will love them and reveal myself to them. We must obey God's word. But if we don't know what his word says, it's kind of hard for us to obey it, isn't it? We've got to know what's in there. Because God is going to judge us on what's in his word. And so it's nice to know what his word says. When I go in to get a job, I want to know what my job requirements are. I want to know what I have to do every day in that line of work. I want to know that. So I have procedures and different things that I read that they give me to read about the job that I'm going to be doing, or they train me in what they expected me to do. And then I'm responsible for doing the job after they've equipped me with what I need. Well, this is what happens here. The God's Word equips us for what we need to do. Coming to church every Sunday and on Wednesday nights and that, it equips us to know how to deal with society we live in. So God doesn't leave us out there and expect us to stand alone. He wants to give us the foundation we need. He wants us to give us everything we need to help lead people to Christ. We just got to obey God. First Samuel 15:22 says, Samuel said, "Which does the Lord prefer, obedience or offerings and sacrifices? It is better to obey him than to sacrifice the best sheep to him." <clears throat> obedience is better than sacrifices. And we'd rather sacrifice something than we would be obedient to God, wouldn't we? We'd rather, you know, our kids when they were growing up, tell them, "Hey, you go do this, you're going to get your little little bottom side tanned." They go, get, they go do it anyway, and they get their little bottom side tanned because they figure the punishment's worth it. Because they'd rather have the sacrifice to do what they want to do. All right, I'll sacrifice. I'll get a spanking for it because I want to do it. It's easy for us. We want to sacrifice something. It's easy for us. If I can do it through works, if I can do it through this, if I go to church 655 times in three years or my whole lifetime, then that's going to be enough for me to make it. Uh-uh. Even if it's a sacrifice, 
God doesn't look at the he, we sure we're supposed to sacrifice our life because our whole life is a, supposed to be a sacrifice offered to him. And it's not going to be easy being a Christian. But we like the do's and the don't things. We, we can do this if we don't have to do all the other things. But God wants our obedience. And he says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. So if we're not keeping Christ's commandments when he tells us what to do, then that tells us we don't love him. Because if we love someone, we're going to do things differently. I love my husband, so there's a lot of things that I'm not going to do because I love him. That's the reality of it. And I don't have a problem with, uh, I don't need to ask him, say, should I go out with such and such on a date? No, I don't have to worry about that because I've already settled that problem, settled that situation. I don't have to go ask him. <laughs> and because I love him, I'm gonna, my life is going to be different because of that. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. We can't serve two masters. There's only, only two, only two um, paths in this world. We're either going to serve God or we're going to serve the devil. That's the reality of it. Philippians 2.13 says, Because God is always at work in you to make you willing and able to obey his purpose, his own purpose. We don't have to do it in our own strength. All we have to do is want God to be in our life. And he will give us the strength that we need. And all these five things that we do, if we do these things, we'll be mature. And we'll be more mature tomorrow than we were today. And next year than this year. I want to be a mature Christian. I want to grow up in God. Let's pray. Our